Welcome to the 516 Podcast, a ministry production of Community Bible Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a church dedicated as a community of Christ to be a community for Christ. We pray our content would bless and encourage you today. And welcome to the 516 Podcast. My name is Ryan Miller, and I'm joined by Dr. Pastor Steve Foster. Dr. Pastor. I like it. I know. I like it, too. I was complaining. Our audio engineer says my pastor is too too puffy. Yeah. Don't Basically be, said your mouth's too big. Is what I think <laughs> don't said. be puffed up, Pastor. Yeah. Oh, don't be a puffed yeah, up, take Pastor. Your, take your peas down to size. Okay. I'll well, do it. we're into it. Ecclesiastes into it. chapter 1. Taking a look at reality. You have entered the reality zone. Ooh. Dulcet tones and all. You know, I looked up, I made a joke about your dulcet tones the other day in church. <laughs> And an individual said that that wasn't a thing, but it actually is a thing. So to all those who are interesting being like, what is Crazy Ryan saying from the uh, stage about dulcet tones? Dulcet tones, pleasing to the ear, generally pleasing, an agreeable sound. Oh. So, yeah. I thought you said I had dulce toes. I was thinking like. Dulce de leche. I was thinking like I had caramel on my toes. I don't think I've ever seen your toes, nor do I want no, to. That's, that's probably something you just keep to yourself. <laughs> I would. If I had caramel there, I wouldn't tell you anyway. Well, we're going verse by verse. Okay, let's go. But not the metaverse. <laughs> Sorry, cheesy dad joke. I'm in the uh, I'm in the zone. All my kids, you know, it's what you do. What you can do to get by. Well, let's take a look. I'm going to read this. Um, this uh, little passage here, okay. and we're going to go further. So we got meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Yep. So let's stop right there. We've okay. got this big question in verse three. Yep. What's this question? Well, I think uh, what you have is uh, the teacher, Solomon, is going to hit us right off the bat. I think this is the teacher sitting down, the freshman students, uh, he's looking at them wide-eyed, they got all kinds of crazy views, and he's just going to basically hit them with a good hard dose of reality. And so he, pretty shocking statement, this meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, that's NIV, it could be vanity of vanities, Um, all is vanity. And of course, I don't know if we're going to talk about that word. That's a key word, Havel. It's a key word that's going to be used throughout um, Ecclesiastes. But basically, just uh, that word is hard to define, but it's sort of this concept of things that are fleeting, futile, frustrating. I I picture it as blowing bubbles. And if you're trying to grab onto a bubble, it's just, uh, it looks like there's something there, but there's not. So if everything in this world can't really be grasped, there's just nothing substantial then the big question is, well, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toll, toll under the sun? In other words, if you really can't grab on to hold anything, you can't hold on, everything's like a bubble in some sense, um, then no matter how hard you work, no matter what you pursue, in the end, you're going to end up with an empty hand. There's nothing that you can really grasp onto, and so there's really nothing to gain from all of your labors that you'll do under the sun. So what's this, um, uh, he uses this uh, expression, under the sun, chasing after the wind, this looking to the forces of nature around him. He talks about generations coming and going, the sun rising, the sun setting, the wind blowing to the south and turning to the north and round it goes, the streams flowing into the sea. It seems like he's taking in all this around him, but what is he discovering? What, What is the... What is the proverb that he truly discovers with all of these observations? What what is he coming to with this idea of under the sun, under the heavens, chasing the wind? Well, 
you need to realize as you start this, and we're in chapter one, um, key words going to be immediately presented to us. Verse two, vanity, this uh, Hebrew word havel, and um, key word, I don't know if we're going to get into talking about a little bit more, but there's just so much richness uh, in it. Second key phrase is going to be, the, the, the key phrase is going to be in verse 3, this under the sun. And I do think under the sun is a key phrase. It's used 27 times in the book. Uh, if you add the phrase under the heavens, it's 30 times because that's used three times. So it's really, I think what you have is Solomon saying, okay, um, let's, let's look at this universe. Let's look at this world. Let's take God out of the equation. Let's take a real secular view of the world and just look at the world, look at the earth, look at everything around us. Just taking God out of the equation, let's just see what's going on. And as he looks at nature, you know, some people like to worship nature, but nature's a cruel God. I mean, it <laughs> it doesn't really care about us. And uh, the sun rises, the sun sets. Uh, the wind blows, the wind goes this way. The rain comes down, the rain goes up. And I think the whole point is, like, we're stuck in this kind of cycle, and really the Earth's like a machine. And as I read this, I get this sense of if you're looking for the world to care about you or to control the world, just uh, it's, it doesn't care about you, and you can't control it. It's just moving along, and you're just uh, one, one person that's here today and gone tomorrow. And the Earth doesn't care when you're born. The Earth doesn't care when you die. The Earth doesn't care if you have a bad day. It's not like... If you've had a bad day, it's not like the sun's going to shine on you and a tree's going to wrap its arms around you and birds are going to land on your shoulder and sing wonderful songs in your ear. Um, that's not the earth that we live in. So let's skip to verse 12. It says, okay. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens, that expression mm-hmm. you just talked yep. about. With a heavy burden God has laid on mankind, I have seen all the things that are under the sun. There we go again. Yep. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Yep. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Why do, you, why do you think he comes to that conclusion? What is what is the reality 101 of this conclusion? Well, again, I, I think what you have to see is the teacher, chapter one to me is his shock tactic. He is He's going to hit us hard right at the beginning. Almost like I said, you can picture the crusty old professor with his wide-eyed class of freshmen who have these uh, naive views of life and naive naive views of the university. And this old crusty professor is just going to get up and he's just going to throw everything at them all It's at ironic once. you say professor, because when I first read this chapter in college, that verse hit me and I couldn't, What the place I was at in my life at the time, wrestling through life and choices, that was the verse yeah. at the end of the day. Where, you know, here I am in school at a phase of my life trying to pursue sorrow, yep, yep. trying to pursue knowledge, and then I read this verse yeah, like, and uh, I have to stop in my tracks. Welcome to college, yeah. So I think what you have here is uh, the teacher sort of, you know, like any good speaker, they're going to try to get your attention. And sometimes they're going to say something shocking at the beginning to get your attention. So he is. And he's basically, again, he's going to picture, there's many people that want to live life as if God is not part of the equation. Uh, Secularism is what, you know, the world really wants to do. You watch TV, you watch the news. I mean, everybody acts like God isn't, isn't important and isn't relevant, isn't part of the equation. 
Well, the teacher is going to say, okay, let's let's start off with that premise. Let me just tell you what life is like under the sun. Let me just, <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to blow sunshine at you. I'm going to, I'm going to nail you between the eyes. This is what life is, and you can't control the world. The word, world does not care about you. You can go hug a tree all you want. You can go swim with the alligators. You can do whatever you want and just worship nature and all that, but it does not care about you, and it will destroy you. And I think what he's basically saying is, I have here. here's the reality. I have studied. I, am, I have explored. I have lived my life. I had all the resources. I had all the knowledge. I had all the opportunity. I live life in this world to what the world would say to the fullest. I did everything you possibly could do. And here's my conclusion. And I think here's two Proverbs, uh, verse 15 and verse 18, are written in proverbial style. They're sort of poetic. Solomon is a writer of Proverbs. These are two Proverbs he came up with after all of this looking at the world. First one is what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, there is something fundamentally wrong with this world, and it ain't going to be fixed by you and by me. We are constantly wanting to change the world. We're constantly wanting something new to come along and just revolutionize and change everything. And he basically said, "There's at the core, there's something wrong with this world that ain't going to be fixed by anybody. Uh, you think of every politician. They, they run for office, and they give you their platform, and they tell you all oh, wonderful things they're going to do, but none of them are going to come up and say, well, I'm going to eliminate disease. I'm going to stop all natural disasters. I'm going to end death. I'm going to resolve every conflict. I'm going to reconcile all marriages. You know, no Although one, some of them do claim that they, they can do this. Claim that. They might claim that, <laughs> that messianic kind of complex. But the point is there's just something— you know, there's a strange way there's that's discouraging. Another way it's encouraging because you realize sometimes we spend our whole life trying to fix things that are not in our power to fix. And um, then the second proverb is, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. And the way I take that is, I think he's basically saying the more you see and know of this world, the more it's going to grieve you, anger you, depress you. Um there's this sense, you know, education is power. And really, you know, there's, there is a beauty to education. But the more you see of this world, the more discouraging it is. If you read the newspaper, if you were to spend your entire day just reading the news and uh, looking at every news story out there, at the end of the day, you'd probably be a pretty depressed person. Because for the most part, there's just a lot of things going on in the world um, that are just discouraging and depressing and angering. And so I think, you know, we live in the information age. We know more than any other generation, and it's not made us happier. It's made us more depressed and more anxious. You know, I always think of the kids, you know, you know, kids are first born. Everything's a wonder. They love everything. They go to the playground. They want to play with all the kids. They make friends with everybody. <laughs> then you get older in life, and you realize, I can't trust anybody. And, and you become a little bit more cynical, a little bit more scared. Because Why? Because you've been hit by the world. You've been betrayed by the world. You've seen that people are not always trustworthy. And so the more you come to know of this world, the more um, it's going to grieve you to some extent. Well, we look around us and, you know, as believers, we sometimes even forget that even though we're living in the grace that Christ has given us, that we're living a life to, we still live in sin's cursed world. Amen. And we have to grapple with the reality of the world around us that is under the curse of sin and broken. Yep. Even though I, we know our eternal hope is secure, yes, we have to wrestle with the insecurity that is the sin-cursed earth and all the things that lie within it. 
And speaking yep. of things that lie within it, we're coming back to this word study okay. uh, that you talked about with the vanity, basically being the theme word of the book. Yep, and definitely. We see, um, we see this word, and we see this word lived out, uh, especially amongst the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, mm-hmm. <laughs> chasing yep. after false gods. Yep. Uh, you know, we reference 2 Kings 17, 14 through 15. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Yep. And they l- imitated the nations around them. Although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. I felt like that's such an unbelievable picture of society today, that vanity, this yeah. worthlessness, they became worthless by following that which is worthless. But when we follow that which is eternal, that which is true and full in Christ, then we, we adopt the things that he gives us as opposed to going from the things of the world. So give me a little overview of the word vanity okay. and give me maybe Solomon's reasoning through the different verses he's re- referenced here in Proverbs um, and even the book of Romans, which we had just uh, come back to. And give yep, us a background yep. on this word vanity as it's oh, going to be a big key, uh, key, key bedrock word. of this book. Yeah, Um and again, if you're doing the, the study guide or if you're just following along, you know, the first day I have you read uh, chapter one and sort of just look at some of the observations, this word under or this phrase under the sun, this word vanity or havel. Um, then day two, just having you sort of just think again about what the teacher says in that first proverb. Day three, it's really good to learn. You know, you hear the word, if you have different translations, you're going to hear vanity of vanities. You're going to hear futility of futilities, meaningless, meaningless. Uh, I think one translation has absolutely pointless. So it's a it's a word you think, okay, wait a second, why are all these translations different? Well, because they're trying to translate one Hebrew word that's so rich in meaning it's hard to grab a hold of. And the word is havel um, or habel. In the Hebrew, the V and the B sometimes... Um, are interchangeable, or they're the same letter. It just depends on how you pronounce it. Um, it's used seventy-three times in the in the whole Old Testament, but thirty-eight times in Ecclesiastes, which says this is the key word. Interestingly, the word Havel or Habel is actually the name Abel. Um, mm. You go back to Genesis and you talk about Cain and Abel, and to me, there's a very good, interesting parallel there. Um, you know, the first human death that happened in the world was Abel. Yeah. Uh, a short life taken too quickly, unjustly taken. Here's the one that was the most um, unlikely to die is the first to die. And it's almost like that is in itself uh, a precursor to this is the kind of world you're about to live in, where the guy who doesn't deserve to die is the guy that dies. And the guy that deserves to die, Cain, is the one who lives. And so that kind of uh, Havel sort of pictures life is not going to sort of work out the way you want. But it has a richer meaning than that. It means vapor or breath is the literal meaning. And so it means things that are fleeting, things that are insubstantial, things you can't grab onto. Things, it's like chasing the wind. I mean, if I go out chasing the wind, uh, you'd think I'm nuts. If you saw me at the church and I'm running around trying to grab the wind, you'd think. So that's what you were doing the other day. That's what I was doing the other day. Yep, yep. Uh, running around, or if you see me trying to collect bubbles, you know, I'm, and someone's blowing bubbles and I'm trying to collect them and I keep getting upset because they keep popping. You think something's wrong with me because there's something insubstantial, something you can't grab a hold of. And so, yeah, you read the second. What I did is mention some of the verses that use that word. It's used about idols because you think about what an idol is. It's it's not real. Uh <laughs> 
someone carves something and, and makes it into something pretty, and then they start worshiping it, and in reality, that's nothing. It's like a nothing. And so you worship a nothing, you become nothing. And mm, So true. And, and it's, it really speaks, you know, we don't worship idols, quote-unquote, today, but we really do. We, we worship things that are not real, that are not substantial, that really have no um, real bearing and um, are worthless because they don't last and they're not real. Um, so anyway, the verses you read all translate this word a little differently, and it's a way of saying, you know what, sometimes you have a Hebrew word that cannot translate cleanly into one English word. So this word, havel, has a rich meaning. And so when I see it in the book, I think of three things. Fleeting, it's something that is transitory. It's something that's short. Um, It's futile. You can't hold on to it. If you pursue it, you're going to find in the end there's nothing there. And the third word I use is frustrating. Some things in life just are frustrating because they don't work out. They don't pan out the way we expect. And that's a that's an aspect of living in a sin-cursed world, which sometimes we're just not willing to accept. It's so interesting how stubborn human beings can be oh, to yeah. chase after something that we know is empty, that we know is worthless, but yet put all our hope. You know, with this word vanity, I can't help, and I don't want to offend anybody out there, I can't help but think of Instagram and social media. This yeah. this picture in a box right. on a screen that we that gets little heart button likes on it and we think we can derive a value. Yep, In fact, society has said we will pay you if you get a bunch of likes on this crafted image. Yep. We will pay you a a a financial compensation for this image that may or may not even be real. And that has found itself to be permeated through everything, through oh, yeah. television, through the way Very that we live. Based, yep. And, you know, this is nothing new to society. Nope. Uh, you know, as we dive into our Matthew Henry segment, this is nothing new to society. We have the vanity of the world yep. all around yep. us. And I want to highlight a couple things that spoke out to me when I read his commentary, and I'm going to let you do the same. Okay. But um, in this first section, it says uh, in point num- bullet point number two of... Um, of the vanity of the world. I think it's taken on to a verse where he has this great line. It says, there is a constant fatigue in worldly business. (laughs) It is labor under the sun. That is a phrase peculiar to this book where we meet it 28 times. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, There is a world above the sun, a world which needs not the sun for the glory of God is its light where there is work without labor and with great profit, the work of angels. But he speaks of the work under the sun, the pains of which are great and the gains are little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I, you know, working in business and seeing work and seeing, uh, you know, growing up watching my dad, you know, building a business and working in a business has frustration because of the entropy, yep. because of the constant grind. And then once even you have a bit of success and you achieve the work, there's still more. <laughs> to be done. Yeah, yeah. And there is this idea that we think through these achievement, through the, uh, and I love how he talks about the novelty of invention and human wisdom and all these things that man can develop, it still erodes away. Yep. It still dies. No matter how much we can develop airplanes and cars and boats and all other types of technology, these microphones that can go to a computer that yep. can send out audio to all over the world, it's still 
can be passing away in yep. a moment. And I just, I find that such a, it's, it's, a, it's a cruel reminder, but it's a crucial reminder yeah, more than point. it is a cruel reminder yep. that as we toil under the sun, that none of these things are meant to be where we lay our foundation Amen. and where we find our hope. Yep. But it's if we take the reality of that, what we are living through and what we have to do, if we take the reality of it and then we partner it with the truth of what our eternal reality is mm-hmm. based on God's word when Jesus comes yep. and tells us and fulfills the prophecy of old and brings us anew, well, then there's power to overcome, at yep. least in my humble opinion. Oh, yeah. No, once you understand reality, then you really can begin to live life. What in Matthew Henry's uh, commentary of this section really spoke to you? Well, I mean, I like, again, I like going to Matt, Matthew Henry because he's writing uh, from the 17th century. So he's outside of our context. And sometimes the language is a little hard to grasp. But as I thought about it, probably the thing that stood out to me the most is near the end of the study guide when he says, um, all the philosophy and politics in the world will not restore the corrupt nature of man in its primitive rectitude. We find the insufficiency of them both in others and in ourselves. Learning will not alter men's natural tempers, nor cure them of their sinful distempers, nor will it change the constitution of things in this world. A veil of tears it is, and so it will be, when all is done. <laughs> That's an eerie uh, prophetic yeah. word for not, today. <laughs> again, it's not something you probably put in someone's Hallmark card, you know, as they're <laughs> retiring or anything. But, uh, you know, here we are in a, in, a, in a politicized world where I don't know how many times I've heard the next election is the most important election is faced, you know, this country's ever faced. And the next election, and we always have this sense, well, man, if we just get the right person in and this next election, things are going to be good. And hey, there are good leaders, there are bad leaders. I vote and I want there to be good leaders. Amen. But in the end, all the philosophy and politics in the world will not restore the corrupt nature of man. And it's a good reminder that um, there is something fundamentally wrong with the heart of man. And I think that's what the teacher wants us to see. You can move around the furniture, you can change things here and there, um, you can have uh, your new car, you can have your new house, you can have your new clothes. All those things may give you a little temporal comfort, but in the end, they will not change the fundamental problem that we have. There's something wrong with the human heart. There's something wrong with this world. Death and disease and disaster, tragedy are the things that just they will not go away, and we can put on our virtual reality glasses and enter the metaverse all we want, but at some point we have to come back to reality, and reality is not always kind, and reality doesn't always make sense. Um, you know, there's some young couples I know of, and it's just amazing in the last few weeks, you know, um, you know, I've heard of them that have lost a child, and or the child born with um, some issues, and you, and these are good people who love the Lord, who who are living for Him, and there's no answer for that except we live in a sin cursed world, and we're not in the Garden of Eden. We're waiting for the day when our King comes and changes things. But for right now, we have to live in this tension. We live in a God created world. There's hope. There's good things. God's glory is here. We see His beauty, but we live in a sin cursed world as well, and we have to. Hold those in balance, and Ecclesiastes helps us to keep those in balance. Well, let's go to school. Reality 101. So what are our seven basic truths? If you're taking me to school, 
for our application, what are our seven basic truths in our first class? So this is my uh, this is my homework. My application. This, yeah. this is my send me send me uh, send me home with my seven lessons. Did you ever do your homework, Ryan? Actually, if I'm going to be truthful, no, I yeah. did not. I was a take the test, listening kind of yeah. class kind of guy. Sort of struck me as that kind of guy. So anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad my reputation <laughs> precedes myself. <laughs> well. Um, yeah, these are seven truths I think that come out. This is the teacher's going to nail you to the wall. Here he goes. He's going to say, "Hey, you're coming in here all wide-eyed and this excited about things. Let me just tell you what life's all about." First thing he's going to say is the world is filled with futility, vanity, and enigmas that cannot be solved. <laughs> For our younger audience, give me a good basic definition of the word enigma. Uh, mystery, things that don't make sense. Um Things that you think uh, you see one way, but it really is not that way. It's um, it's it's a sort of a mystery that is not easily understood. Cool. Number two. Number two. No matter what we gain in this world, we cannot keep it. Ain't that the truth? Uh, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. There's no pockets and shrouds. I mean, you can hoard all you want, all the stuff you want, and in the end, you leave it all behind. Number uh, three. The world continues on in an endless cycle without any regard for our individual lives. You mean the world doesn't revolve around me? The world does not revolve around you. In fact, it probably... Um, this is a crushing new reality yeah, for me. There you go. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, that that uh, crushed some little dreams, I guess. You know, you can't be everything you want to be, and the world really doesn't care. So, uh, yes, it, the world go, keeps going on and isn't really uh, concerned whether we're born or die. We just move along with it. Number four, we will never be fully satisfied in this world. And uh, I've always loved the quote by C.S. Lewis that um, if we find in this world a desire that we have in ourselves a desire that cannot be fulfilled in this world, it's sort of a good indication that we're made for another world. And if we're trying to find satisfaction in this world, um, you won't ultimately find it. There's nothing really new in this world that will satisfy us despite the ads. You know, every ad says this is in fact, I showed someone Sunday. This changes everything. You know, this truck changes everything. This soft drink changes everything. And you realize it doesn't change anything. I mean, it does not change the fundamental nature of the world. Are there new stuff? Yeah. Why do we run after new stuff? Because we're looking for something that's going to really satisfy and suddenly be the key to life. And you get the new car and you're excited about it. And a month later or so, you, you want a new one. And I think, let me pause on this point. I think that's where the temptation of the enemy comes in. Because there are things that people will argue that for a short time, you know what? A little bit of money does satisfy yeah. for a while. Yeah. But not the deep satisfaction yeah. of understanding oh, yeah. where your soul is. So that is a that is a, that is a uh, constant reminder that we need to filter Everything that oh, comes yeah. across our ears as we think that, oh, if I just had a little bit more money or if I just had a little bit more this. And then sometimes the worst thing that can happen is you do get those things that yeah. do satisfy. You yep. found you find yourself satisfied to a point where your satisfaction in that temporal thing is greater than your satisfaction that you're finding. Oh, yeah. And your salvation and your hope in Christ. Yep. And there are, and, and, I don't want to go too far ahead. Give it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, give, don't it away, give it away. But um, there, there are. are good things in life. And at the end of this book, he's going to say, enjoy, enjoy life. But the only way you can truly enjoy something is seeing it for what it really is. If you see it as a gift, you can enjoy it. If you see it as a god or an idol, as something that you're going to base your life on, it's going to betray you. Live with open hands. Live with open hands. All right. Point number six. Number six. There are things wrong in this world that we do not have the power to change. Um, that's easy for me to accept. Yeah. <laughs> when I look at the problems of the yep. world around me, I'm like, you know what? 
I'm good. You know yep. what? You're right. I can't change that. Well, and it's good <laughs> knowing your limits. And I, like I said, that's maybe it sounds discouraging to some people, but it's actually very encouraging when you realize, you know, God just asked me to walk with him daily and to trust Amen. him and to do what I'm called to do Amen. and leave the change and the results. You know, I always like that verse that says, you know, I, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And so in some sense, you just do what you can do, but you put the results in God's hand. And then the seventh one, the more we know, the more we see the sad reality of these truths. <laughs> and so that's sort of, um, and you could come up with different ones, but those are sort of the seven principles I see in chapter one that are basically, like I said, a hard hit to the head with a two by four, just saying, don't live in a pretend world. This is the world you're in. And you can, like I said, you can try to escape it all you want. You can try to deny it all you want. But when you understand reality, then you can begin to really live life. I want to highlight one question um, as we close that you uh, that you proposed in here, and I think it's really cool. It says, do you think Ecclesiastes is a good book to teach young people, or do you think it is something that should be reserved for people a little later in life? What age is probably the best age to hear the message of the teacher? Yeah. I'm going to ask you your own question. You're going to ask him my own question? I don't know if that's legal. That is absolutely legal. It, that's a great question. I, I don't think you want to get your little three and four years old, a four year old uh, there and open up Ecclesiastes and tell them the whole world's uh, pointless and vanity of vanities. Wait, and let me they're going to die. Hang on, I got to remove something from my yeah. calendar for my four year and three year old this afternoon. Hang on, I got to take something yeah. off. Yeah. Um, so I do think <laughs> Proverbs is where you begin. I think mm-hmm. Proverbs is exactly where you begin. You teach your young people Proverbs, you teach them the basic principles of how to live a good life. Uh, you do the basic teaching of um, the basics of, of life. But I think at some point, and this is probably where it takes wisdom, I think, you know, when at some point in our life we're going to be hit with reality. Yeah. Uh, a heart, you know, it's a death of someone that we love. It's a disappointment. It's a betrayal. That happens at different ages of different people. But I think whenever someone finally gets to the place where they begin to see this world is not a friendly place and and some things are not making sense. I'm I'm expecting life to go this way and it's not. At that point I think Ecclesiastes, the angst the, for the angst of the world and for the young person who thinks, you know, what's the point of all this? It's good to maybe then let them read Ecclesiastes and just get a good taste of okay. You know some basics in life, but now it's time to go a little bit further and realize that in the end, we are a people waiting for a kingdom. Amen. uh, That is the truth. That's why the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the longing of every human soul. Even the human soul doesn't understand that that's their longing. We are created for the garden. We don't live in the garden but we're longing for the king who one day is going to restore everything that was lost. And so the longing of every individual and truly the longing of every believer is even so come Lord Jesus. We look for your kingdom. It's my longing. It's your longing. It's um, our church's longing that we all remind ourselves to know that and that the uh, congregation and the digital congregations, I'd like to call them at large, may know that as well. God's word has a beautiful way of meeting us where we are at every point in life. There's never a situation, there's never a circumstance that God can't speak to you as your life unfolds and as the situations of your life unfold, no matter what age, no matter how you are, 
I know that God's word has the power and the ability to change, to comfort, to mm-hmm. grow, and Amen. most importantly, draw us closer to him who reigns upon the throne and will reign upon the throne in that kingdom Amen. whom we live our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, this first dose of Reality 101. And Lord, we thank you that at the end of the reality, Lord, we get to experience you and that we get to taste of your goodness and your blessing in our life and that we can say it is good and enjoy. But Lord, as we wrestle with the uncomfortable nature of the reality of our world around us, would you equip us, would you soften our hearts, and would you strengthen us to understand what it is you're trying to speak through this teacher who uh, experienced some things as we'll come to find out, some regrets, some some successes. But Lord, at the end of the day, after all is said and done under the sun, we need you and we find you. Lord, bless the people at large who are listening. Bless us as we close today. We glorify your name. And in Jesus' name, the pastor said, Amen. 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 We'll see you next time.